The Needs of Mother Brown West Ham podcast is brought to you by 888sport.com forward slash West Ham and the bet they've sent us this week and can you believe this is even true West Ham to finish in the top six four to one on your first bet simple as that I'm not going to add any more to that just get get out there if you're, if you're willing to believe 888sport.com forward slash West Ham Twenty-five to thirty yards, isn't it? But he does have to beat David De Gea. Oh, it's brilliant! Just brilliant again. Dimitri Payet for West Ham United. Are they on their way to Wembley? Referee blows the whistle and gives a penalty kick. Mikel Antonio, who gets the yellow card. Loftus-Cheek racing into the box. Was he just caught there by Mikel Antonio as he ran into the penalty area? He just caught the back of his leg. And Cesc Fabregas, for the second time today, has the chance to draw Chelsea level. Two minutes from time. It's 2-2! Hello and welcome to the Knees of Mother Brown West Ham podcast. Oh, difficult couple of last matches we've had there, but we're still undefeated technically. Joining me here in the studio, Sky Sports' very own Bianca Westwood is back. Hello everybody. And our next guest is quite simply one of the greatest batsmen of all time. If you're a cricket fan, you'll know him well. He's the second highest test run scorer for England, the most prolific run scorer of all time, but of course, most importantly, big West Ham fan. Welcome to the show, Graham Gooch. Absolute honour, mate. Pleasure to have you here. It's great to be here, and it's also very, very exciting for me to be talking about the Irons, <laughs> because I think I've got over 50 years of experience. Of, <laughs> wow. Sad to say 50 years, but it is over 50 years watching them. This yeah. could be a long podcast then. <laughs> <laughs> you just mentioned there, first game, uh, 1959, was it? I think it would have been around that. I was born in 1953. My my father was from Plasto. I was born in Leightonstone, James Lane Leightonstone, which is quite close to Leighton Orient's ground. And I went to school, both schools in Leighton. But my dad took me along with my uncle George, who's still alive. He's nearly 100 years of age. Wow. Um, we used to go every other Saturday and used to stand on the South Bank. And... Um, he used to take a box for me to stand on in the corner and I remember getting all cold feet and cold hands and that's where I've still got a love of roasted peanuts actually they used to sell roasted peanuts down in the corner there so we used to stand in the corner of the South Bank and uh, my first memories of watching West Ham the players Bobby Moore Jeff Hurst were just starting to come on the scene um, but people like um, John Dick um, Malcolm Musgrove, wow. uh, Johnny Sissons was a little bit later, Ken Brown, John Bond, um, uh, Andy Malcolm. I'm trying to think who the goalkeeper was. Uh, Jim Standham was a little bit later because he played cricket for Worcestershire as well. I didn't know whether you knew that. He played no. first-class cricket. Because there was a few cricketers in those days who played both professional football and professional cricket. Why was that? Uh, because... Um, 
now the seasons I think in football are spread right into May and start in August whereas back then they used to fin finish a little bit earlier probably wasn't so many games I, d I don't remember and in the summer these footballers used to play cricket Jim Standers won another guy Ted Hemsley played for Sheffield United and Worcester um, Chris Balderstone more recently that was in the in the 80s 70s and 80s uh, played for Carlisle United a number of clubs as well as Leicestershire and played for England cricket Ian Botham had a small soiree yeah. playing for Scunthorpe but <laughs> Ron Claret and Blue yeah I think I think I think that was more of a publicity <laughs> although he wouldn't admit it I don't think but um, yeah there was a number of, of course there was many many years ago even before I was born there was double internationals um, my second first class game was was against uh, Gloucestershire and um, um, I'm trying to think of the name escapes me now but the opening back Arthur Milton yeah. played against him he played uh, football for England wow. and cricket for England Wow. How about that? Well, they don't make them like that anymore, do no. they? But we're going to drill into your West Ham supporting career in a, in a minute, but just up front, would you have swapped playing cricket for England for winning the league and captaining West Ham? Mm, difficult. I think I think um, uh, it would be very tempting. But, you know, when, when, when I'll, I'll be very serious. When people ask you about your career, yeah. what's the best part of your career, I always say... Nothing comes close to being asked to captain your country. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So to swap that for something, it would be difficult. Well, that would be very, very close to put the claret and blue on and walk out with the ball under the arm. Yeah. My sporting hero is Bobby Moore. Um, it will always will be, and um, it will be very close. But captaining your country is something special. So to give that up would be yeah. would be difficult, but it'd be close. <laughs> <laughs> so that's two weeks in a row. Our guests have said they'd rather do what they did in their career than play for West Ham. We had a DJ on last week who said yeah. he'd rather DJ. I'm not being funny though. I think captaining <laughs> yeah. England. And I mean, it's not it's not bad, is it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's get into some feedback from the previous episode, Bianca. We had Chadwell Hammer. Chadwell Hammer. Uh, okay, so he says, great bonus episode. The Come Podcast has been as successful as the team have been this year, and that's pretty successful. <laughs> Certainly got me emotional hearing a teaser of what the final three songs Upton Park could be, and love the idea of the brass band playing Bubbles to close it out. Come on, you irons. Yeah. Yeah, love that. And DJ Clips, he says, Good one again, guys. I had no idea Damien Lazarus was a hammer either. First saw him live a few years ago in Ibiza. I like him even more now. And then lastly, we had an email from a guy called Rob Stokes, and he said a couple of episodes ago we were talking about chance getting started for some of these great new players we've got. Like somehow we don't have the chance yet. He said, "Hey guys, I've only started listening to the podcast this season, but I've downloaded them all and love and love them from previous seasons." How anyhow? On a recent podcast, you spoke about the chance created after seeing Lanzini back to his best against Chelsea. I've come up with a chant which I'd like you to introduce. It could be another one of your famous exclusives. So here we go to the tune of the Timmy Mallet hits. Uh, We've got an itsy beanie, teeny weeny. He's got the lot, Manuel Lenzini. He loves the West Ham and we love him too. We've got to be able to sing something it's else other than we've got Payette. <laughs> Take care, Stokes. I'm not sure about that. That it's, is a bit of a mouthful. Yeah, it is too you much. You didn't quite get your, get your lips around that properly, did you? Yeah. <laughs> get in touch with the show. Email podcast at kumb.com. Get on the forum at kumb.com or follow... Your hosts, your lovely hosts on Twitter, beautiful people, lovely, one of your own. Bianca is at B double E Westwood. Chris is at CJ Skull, and that's with a C, not a K. 
a C because he's special. <laughs> Come on, you irons. Graham, I wonder, like, you're, you're from Leytonstone yourself, you know, you're pro- like you say, proper Cockney. Did it help, do you think, coming from the East End when you're at the crease and there's a there's a bit of banter going back, a bit of sledging? Do you think having that kind of East End upbringing helped, helps in that situation? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm very proud of my, my upbringing. My, my father, Alf, uh, you know, he, he taught me cricket and football. And, of course, back when I was at school in the 60s, it was only those two sports. I mean, the kids nowadays have a lot more opportunity to play other sports, you know. But uh, it was one or the other. And I played both up until I was a teenager. And I, I think you come through some tough times. And when you talk about sledging and banter and all those things on the field of play, what you've got to remember is that, that sledging, you know, when it takes place on a football match or on a cricket field, basically the opposition are trying to get trying to get you to play the man and not the ball. It's as simple mm. as that. And I would always take it as a compliment if they're sledging you, actually, because mm. it generally means you're doing something right. It's when they're quiet, obviously things are not probably going your way. So um, take it as a compliment you use it in your, your favour. But I, I, I think coming up through the East End, playing for Waltham Forest Schools at cricket and at football, and coming from that era, you know, I think I was very lucky uh, to play on the Wanstead Flats. I yeah. mean, we all know where the Wanstead Flats are, and Hackney Marshes we used to play, and that pitch number 385. <laughs> and there was no one using all the other pitches, but you had to walk <laughs> right over the far end to put the posts up. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah I, I enjoyed my football actually, uh, both, both going to watch West Ham all through the years when I was young. And also playing a bit of football up until I started playing professional cricket. Then I played a couple of seasons after that. And then I had to give it away because sort of cricket sort of consumes your life after that. Yeah, yeah. Was your dad sort of pushing you towards the cricket side of, of playing? Um, I, I think my lack of pace was pushing uh, me that what it was? my cricket. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, you know, I, I was a reasonable footballer and I played district level and I'm trying to think, Brendan Batson was in the team that I played who played for Arsenal, fullback, yeah. and was uh, I think he was uh, chairman of the PFA at one stage. Um, but I, I wasn't quick enough. I wasn't a bad footballer, but I wasn't quick enough to, to go to any other level. It would have been a difficult decision, I have to say, if I was a kid, you know, and yeah. I'd have been good enough at football, but I was better at cricket. And of course, there, there there was less kids who were, you know, less numbers anyway who who were, who were good at that game. Yeah. And my dad played every Sunday, and I used to go since I was in a pram to um, the old Blues rugby football ground at Barkingside. That's where we used to play. And or his team used to play it was called East Ham Corinthians. They also used to play in Plashick Park, yeah. which is right next to the West Ham's football ground. They yeah. used to play on Saturdays there, an old Blues ground on Sundays. So it's absolutely in the blood yeah. and yeah. and blue. <laughs> it's, right. it's funny, like obviously I, in my head, it's like Graham Gooch cricket captain, Ed, like famous Test run scorer. But when you're naming those places that are around West Ham, it really somehow yeah. the penny drops that you really yeah. are from around those areas. You know, like Barkerside, it's. Yeah, absolutely. As I say, I used to go um, with my uncle George, as I said, who's still alive, who who Mm. lives still down in uh, Christchurch near near Bournemouth. And uh, I so much wanted to go to the Bournemouth West Ham match this year, but I was out of the country. Otherwise, I'd have tried to get tickets for that, and maybe Mm. he'd have loved to have gone along to that. (laughs) You know, Um, and they're great memories, isn't it? And, And they're the memories that you 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 know 
bring up in your mind of your youth and and that's the culture you were brought up in and and and, and that's what defines you as a person all those yeah. things that you remember when you're a kid you know watching the uh, West Ham play watching England football my dad taking me to Wembley you know watching the Grand National the boat race that's what defines you as being English and I'm proud mm. to be English yeah. you know um, British as well but I, I'm English and I'm, you know I when we play for England it's a it's a great honour so um, you know I'm very passionate about that yeah lovely alright if you want to get in touch with the show here's how you can do so right let's talk <coughs> about recent fixtures um, we'll talk firstly about last weekend um, Chelsea at Stamford Bridge absolutely robbed surely Graham what did you what did you think of that 2-2 um, well I was listening on the radio coming back from Lords actually and uh, we were controlling the game according to the commentators and West Ham um, this season as we all know uh, it's a revelation for long time supporters because we expect to win when we go to places <laughs> now we expect to play not only play well but to win and to be consistent and, and they've performed like that all the way through the season so the players must take credit and the manager must take credit um, I I'm not on the a downer on Sam Allardyce, you know. From I think he built a, a strong team and some good things about West Ham. They they were much more difficult to beat, and obviously Slaven Village has built uh, has built on that. Um, Saturday robbed well the penalty. You know, I I know what it's like with uh, uh, officials. You know, sometimes they get it slightly wrong. It was slightly outside the box. Mm. I don't know. It's, it's a difficult one. We'd have taken the penalty if it had went our way. <laughs> yeah. that, that's always the issue, isn't it? You know, you get the rub of the green. Sometimes um, it goes against you. And, you know, the, the thing is that when it goes for you, no one says anything. That's just the, the piece of luck. You know, yeah. the, follow, the previous week, when Schweinsteiger got in the way of the goalkeeper, you know that was mm. probably a foul. But I, I don't know. I think generally, it it evens itself out yeah. pretty would you, well. Would you think then that maybe using video technology would be something that you would agree with in instances um, like that? Well, they that? use it in cricket yeah. and they use it in um, rugby. Um, the, the issue I think is that slowing the game down, obviously. Mm. You know, you, 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 you've got to be mindful of keeping the flow of the game going. And if if there's five fouls that need checking in 10 minutes, you mm. know, it's going to be a hell of a long game. It, 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 it's quite a difficult scenario. Maybe for penalty, for penalty decisions, though, because be. mm. the play is stopped anyway. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but I think that's fair. That's a fair And you call. know how quick it is. A replay can come up instantly. Maybe a fourth official on the side could then tell the referee. I, 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 I tell you what I do think is that you could do that. And, and I also think that this... This shirt pulling and blocking people in the penalty area at set pieces and things like that, I think that's got completely out of hand now. Yeah. Mm. You know, and, and the referee cannot watch every player. No, and it's not. like a wrestling match in there. Mm. You know, and I, I heard him on the radio over the last couple of days saying, Well, they should make the shirts out of paper. <laughs> you know, so and, and then you could pull a yeah. piece off and keep hold of that shirt, yeah. you know. So but I I do think that that's got out of hand. I think someone's shirt was actually pulled off. Was it, it was Robert Hoos? Robert Hoos' shirt yeah. was pulled off. This yeah. weekend. So it is, it is getting ridiculous. But it's not only the shirt pulling, but they're absolutely, you know, grabbing them yeah. at, and blocking them. Yeah. And um, I remember when I trained with West Ham, yeah. way back in the early 80s, 
David Cross was a centre forward, and he was quite a good centre forward, very mobile, very sort of tall, uh, wiry sort of figure. Terrifying. And, and, and I remember that if I, they used to practice at the corners in, in the set pieces on the training field, that one or two other players used to block the defenders, okay? Mm. So David Cross had a free run at the ball. So mm. it was going on. Yeah, it's probably been going on the whole time the game's been played. That type of thing. But but I, there's but a way I of doing it, it though, isn't there? The spectacle of the game. Mm. Now. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Um, back to the Chelsea game. So Lanzini has been a revelation this season. I mean, what a goal from him outside the box! Just struck it. Absolutely no chance. Great. Well, I mean, what a player. Yeah, he seems to come from from nowhere. I mean, yeah. I don't think anyone would have would have heard of him before. And uh, he's very skillful, uh, good on the ball. He's got a good work rate, and you know he fits very well with Pai and and Coyote and mm. uh, uh, Noble do all the legwork. Yeah. Mm. You know, and I remember all those years ago <laughs> uh, when Trevor Brookin, who was a hero of mine, playing. But then you also had Jeff Pike next to him, mm. who mm. used to do the hard yards yeah. and win the ball. And do all the running for Trevor, you know, because Trevor was the sort of artiste on the ball. And you've got a similar situation now. If you see the work rate Mark Noble puts in as well, in with these guys, I mean, Mm. we've got a good mix in that midfield. And I think the other amazing thing about West Ham this season is they've had lots of changes of personnel in Mm. the team, enforced changes through injury, especially the centre-backs. And um, they've coped with that all the way through. I remember uh, going to the Man City match where Sam Byron came on after, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes mm-hmm. um, when Jenkinson went down injured. And I thought he he looked very, very comfortable and, mm-hmm. and fitted in very nicely. So that's the, si- the sign of a good team. When people yeah. come in, can feel confident and, you know, c- can slot in. So um, I hope we can keep all these guys fit for the running mm. and then we could be and get a few back having nosebleeds at the end of the season <laughs> I know um, Bianca did you think we were robbed Chelsea away I mean uh, yes I do but as Graham said some sometimes you get these decisions sometimes you don't um, I thought he was unlucky Antonio it's yeah. like he barely barely touched him and it was outside the area and it's it's annoying and it's Chelsea uh, they were jammy. Uh, we definitely deserved the win, especially listening to Slavin Bilic afterwards. He he was adamant mm. we deserved all three points. But you know, it, what I'm I'm just buzzing for the fact that we can now go to Stamford Bridge, places like that. And I was expecting us to win. Mm. You know, and um, it's just it, it's such a nice feeling. Um, I took a screen grab during the live tables during the game when we were ahead. We were briefly fourth. Yeah, on the, on the line tables, and it said, and I thought, wow, take a picture of that, Graham. I mean, how much do you think we can achieve this season? Can can we dream of Champions League football? I don't, I don't see why not. I mean, you're going to have to put in a good run towards the end of the season. You're going to have to win a proportion of matches because you've got to assume the other teams will as well. But why not? We're, mm. I, I think we're there in the mix. And the good thing for us is we're playing really, really well and mm. playing confidently, scoring goals mm. and being, you know, quite miserly at, at yeah. the back. You know, one thing you mentioned about Slavin Bilic, I mean, what I like about him, he seems to be a manager who there who's very measured. He, he He's very fair 
And that's one thing that irks me in football is the managers who are completely one-eyed, mm. and, and you know, just they just see it from their own team's point of view all the time. Yeah. And and I think you have to be fair because sometimes you, you get the rub of the green, sometimes you don't. And I think he, you know, he talks very sensibly. You know, we played well, but obviously we didn't yeah. get the, you know didn't mm. get the rub of the green or whatever. But uh, I, I, I like his way. And, yeah. Um, and. And it always interests me is when he stands on the such line. Hands on his knees. Yeah, well, he's, he's, he's got to be hurting. Eh? <laughs> this has got to be an old football injury, surely, because no one stands like that. I know, normally. it's bizarre. But has he got it's to a have strange... an operation or something? But, but also, it's a strange level to watch a football game at, isn't it? You kind of like, you're low well, it's down. It's like his back's hurting him, or his knees are hurting him, or something. Well, if I, I'll, it's I'll a ask great him. standing position there. I'll ask him say. next time I see him. Yeah. But yeah, we see to have sort of all the elements we've got the flair with Payet and Lanzini but we've got some functionality we've got some steel as well I thought um Mikel Antonio has done brilliantly when he's had to, to mm. play at wing back but we've really missed his runs forward haven't yes. we because you know you never know what what he's gonna do I interviewed him last mm. week actually and I said to him you know you, nobody knows what you're going to do next and he said well I don't know so you know he's you know we were talking about the chaos factor yeah. you know that's that's how he plays he, he never knows what he's going to do next and he just takes everybody by surprise and he's been amazing and, and what a character He's yeah. so I'm not, I'm not sure whether he knows he's a fullback or a wingback when he plays well, fullback. Actually, him, yeah. he, he spends most of the time in the opposition's he's, half. He actually. said that. <laughs> he, he said he's he's been told to stay back, but he's naturally he just always sort of like mm. uh, drifts forward and. Um, uh, obviously, he's he would much prefer to play on the wing, but you know he, yeah, he said he, he'll do a job. A job, and I Absolutely. thought I thought against Spurs, he was outstanding. Yeah, and he's a powerful runner. Yeah, and you, you can see he gives everything, and he, and you can see that the opposition are not sure about him. Mm. One, they're not sure because they don't know enough about him. Mm. They haven't seen enough of him. Yeah, you know, because obviously second season will be. A little bit more difficult. It's yep. the same in any sport. You burst onto the scene a little bit. You have a bit of success, but no one quite knows how to take you, how to handle you, mm. handle you. So next next year will be a test for him. Mm. But his powerful surging runs and the goal against Spurs was fantastic. The header at the near post. Yeah. That is true old yeah. style West Ham near post mm. header. Yeah. And, and 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 talking of him up the right and Pye, you know, he was a great playmaker. You know, I, I think one of the things that annoys us all in football is when people take corners. At premiership level or any level and they don't beat the first man yeah. mm. and you're thinking well we had a problem premiership with that for football a while should yeah. be able to beat <clears throat> the first man you know and Payet puts the ball right in the business area yeah. and that's mm. where you he want does. it he does yeah. he'll put a ball on a sixpence Payet yeah. he's incredible oh, a, yeah. word, a word on leadership so we've got a manager at the moment in Slavon Bilic who kisses players when they run onto the pitch and I wondered you know with an England captain here in the studio <laughs> what kind of what kind of leadership do you think that demonstrates that you know he puts an arm around players? I mean have we ever had a West Ham manager who kisses a player when he comes on Right. Off the bench, well, Decania would have even got a chance. <laughs> yeah, he would sure. have actually. Um, um, I, I, I don't know. Look, it takes all styles, and yeah. the, the one thing you have to do is build relationships to get the best out of people. Whether you have to be on their case all the time and giving them a, a gentle dig in the ribs, mm. or, or you have to put the arm around them and console them, you have to be a good man manager and work out how to get the best out of everybody. Mm. So all sorts of people need different G-ups and it must be so much more difficult nowadays with people coming from all over different countries yeah. different languages mm. different cultures as well yeah. that mm. that you know the old 
throw the teacups and throw the shoes and yeah. uh, and bang the desk and, and give people a, a rollicking and that sort of stuff might work for your English and British bass players but I don't think it's going to work for everyone. I don't mm. know, but I wouldn't assume so. So you, mm. you've got to pick your way through that yeah. a little bit to get them motivated. But, you know, the consistency of the performance suggests that whatever he's saying, keep saying it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's go on to the game before that. And in the FA Cup, you know, doing well in the league, but also doing well in the FA Cup. Uh, Manchester United won, West Ham won, Graham. In the end, unlucky not to win there as well. Yeah, I thought we dominated the game and... and, and Brilliant free kick, you know, um, that's as good as, as you've seen anyone take a free kick. The way um, he got the ball up and down and, and the swerve he got on that ball was, was truly world class and uh, gave a, a brilliant goalkeeper no chance at all. Mm. But, you know, you go to West Ham uh, and you expect West Ham to play well at home, but going up to Old Trafford and sort of dominated the game and, you know... Uh, keeping them at bay and also looking dangerous you know I, I was fully expecting us to, to keep that score you know their mm. their, their goal was well, against the run of play a little bit I, I would say mm. and uh, you know when have we been West Ham fans and we come away disappointed, <laughs> you know, no. that we didn't win the game there? So, yeah, our expectations have changed and um, we're holding our own with the best. So let's hope that, that we can maintain that performance, no doubt, add to that squad as well. And I'm personally in favour of going to the Olympic Stadium because I think that opens up a new chapter for West Ham, a potential new chapter mm. in terms of attracting players. We're going to have the most desirable ground in the country. There's no doubt about that. And that, that's not biased. That's, that, that's a factual mm. um, commercial decision is that if you're in the Olympic Stadium, whether we've got the good deal or not, and people probably you know, going to you know, kick up a fuss about it, you know, we're in, going to be in a place where people will want to come and play and watch. Yeah. And you, if you can put a bigger crowd in, you'll be able to attract players, more players, and the whole thing gets bigger and bigger, and I think it could take us to another level. Especially if we manage Champions League football. And, and we win the FA Cup. <laughs> Stop <laughs> it. But, you know, you look at um, Manchester City losing um, to Man United at the weekend. Mm. They're kind of on a bit of a, a downward spiral. You know, they're missing company, and Aguero's not sort of quite doing mm. it at the moment. Man United's you never know which do, Man United's going to turn you know up think, so well, who's know, go, who else is going to take that full spot if it's not um, us do you know what I think is really good is that we're dining at the top table we're not just popping in for coffee <laughs> <laughs> okay. that's the sound that's bite it. that is it <laughs> that's the trail for this episode <laughs> sorted um, um, back, but, but, but do you not yeah. think that you know yeah. the simple fact that we're going to be there you know players do I want to go to central London or do mm. I I'm not going to name any other city or do I want to go to another place mm. in in the UK? Yeah. You know, it's going to be a no-brainer, really. Yeah. You want to go yeah. to central London, be where the action is, etc., etc. Whether that's right or wrong, that's a fact. Yeah. yeah. And that could make a difference. What mm. with Slaven Bilic as well, who can attract big-name players, the Olympic Stadium, Champions League football, the way we play as well. Players are going to want to play in a yeah. team like that. Mm. You know, you, 
Well, who knows we, what? You know, we shouldn't get too carried away, but you know, I'm touching. You've you already now. got you. You've, <laughs> st- you've still got the old West Ham mentality well, in there, though, you haven't can't you? Just get rid of that straight away. You know? <laughs> we can't be uh, we're a little bit. Um, yeah. Just hang on a minute. We'll be careful. Be careful. <laughs> yeah. But but I, I I do seriously think that 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 could be a bit of a game changer. Yeah. You know, I I went. Uh, I mean, at Essex Cricket, we're hoping to play play T uh, Twenty cricket at the Olympic Stadium. Potentially not this year but mm. next year mm. next summer for, for the, we've met with Newham Council and there's a potential window to play in July uh, before the football season starts a festival of cricket maybe for two weeks four or five games which would work you'd have to, if I said drop in pitch you know what you mean by drop in pitch you know what I mean by a drop in pitch okay so in Australia and New Zealand they have what they call drop in pitches okay so basically on the football stadium you cut you know, 22 yards by yeah. about yeah. Five, five, four or five yards yeah. wide. Okay, so you cut a big trench about a foot deep. Yeah. Okay. That shape of a pitch, and they bring the pitch along on a big crane in a metal tray, and they just drop it in. Wow. Drop it in. That's right. what they do in Australia, have been doing it for 30-odd years. Okay, so you just drop it in, and when you yeah. finish with it, you pull it take out. Take it out. Take it out and put the other earth back in, or, or, you know, put the original one back in. Wow. So what it means is you can use different stadium. You yeah. can't just play cricket on a wicket of in the in the stadium. You have mm. to bring the wicket in. Right. So it potentially is possible. And I went along there uh, with some other guys from from Essex Cricket to meet the chief executive Newham Council and, and visit the stadium. I think it was um, November, just after the Rugby World Cup finished. Right. I think South Africa played at the Olympic Stadium, so it was set up for rugby yeah. soccer. Mm. And the most amazing thing, you know, and they were just doing all the showers, claret and blue, actually. It's absolutely true. They were tiling them, claret and blue. And um, anyway, so um, uh, you wouldn't know that it's temporary seating. Mm. Really? There's no way of knowing that it's temporary seating. It doesn't look like temporary seating. And they can dismantle it or they can roll some of it away so you can make the the playing area yeah. bigger you, you mm. wouldn't even know the running tracks here it's covered by like a carpet and um, how far do you sort of feel away from well, I, the well I think at the sides <clears throat> Bianca that you, you're quite close to the action obviously at the end it's a little bit further away mm. yeah because you've got these sort of running tracks sort yeah. of area there so yeah. you'd be a little bit further away yeah and all the seats the were black and white so they're going to change they're that. changing, they're changing that now, those yeah, yeah. Yeah. that's the only thing because you know when you're behind the goal sometimes it kind of adds to the atmosphere that that, that would be my yeah. only the, sort of worry I, I went obviously I, was, I went for the France Romania game as I've sort of said like four weeks in a row but like um, <laughs> the, the only thing, well, I, thing I thought was there's a gap between the lower tier and the upper tier because when they run it forward it leaves a gap between the upper tiers yeah. but when I went to see the rugby it was just empty it was like an empty void mm. but yeah. hopefully from what they're seeing of the designs they're going to put some West Ham like layer mm. over it and they're going to on the other side like make it all one big tier so yeah. it's got huge potential I think the it, fans so. are just going to really have to make sure that yeah. they sort of you know Make bump up the atmosphere yeah, yeah I th- keep singing I, 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 those songs you know, n- n- not to have a downer but i think one of the slight worries is going to be the team going into this new stadium and how the team cope with the new mm. facility the new mm. surroundings yeah that i don't think that can be just taken as a given that you're just going to be everything's going to be the same yeah. It's going to be a different feeling, a different scenario, a whole different atmosphere. It's going to be so weird. So it's how the team react to that 
And I think there's been lots of precedents of, you know, other teams going like when Arsenal first went to mm -hmm. the, the Emirates yeah. and so on. You know, it, it's not the same. No. So if West Ham can, the players and the, cope with the environment, yeah. the change. It could give them a boost. It could, but mm. you know, we, we, you can't be certain. You, no. that, that's a bit of an unknown quantity. Yeah. Mm. Um, just to close off the United game chat, so Bianca, obviously Graham thought we were going to hang on for a 1-0 victory. You thought we were going to hang I on did. to victory. We were behind the goal. I had the, the merchant of doom <laughs> next to me, who was like, oh, every time they got the ball. And I was like, it's okay, everything's going to be fine. We're going to hold on, we're going to hold on. But it was just a bit of um, just a bit of bad luck, really, it wasn't was, it? Wasn't it? Yeah, and a bit Schwein's, of shenanigans. Yeah, a bit of Schweinsteiger shenanigans. Not yeah. easy to say. But you know, it could be fate. It could set us up for an amazing cup tie yeah. at Upton Park under the lights, Manchester United. Could we win? Like, Graham, do you, do you see us going through? I know we were chatting outside about your availability for the semi-final, so you've got one eye on it. But do you think we're going to? To go past Manchester United in the replay and get to that semi-final I, I don't see any reason why we can't beat Manchester United mm. I, I think we're as good a team as them if not mm. playing better football than them yeah they've got some very good players and they're capable mm. if they hit it right on the day but yeah. I don't think we should go into that game with any fear at all Lovely. the only players that concern me would be Rashford and Martial that's mm. it really yeah. so just this and obviously just... trying to get through De Gea <laughs> yeah yeah so just both ends of the field. That's everything. it. Both ends of the field. <laughs> In the middle might be all right. <laughs> um, so, Graham, obviously a big West Ham fan, as you said, looking forward to the Olympic Stadium, but as you say, 1959 there at Upton Park. How are you feeling about leaving this place that's been our home for so long? I think so. I'm not a particularly sentimental person, so I, I, I don't feel sorry. We're gonna, I just think that's going to be progress, to, to be honest. You know, I, yeah. I was at you know, the bowling ground when it was the original chicken run, the wooden the chicken wire. run. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I was about the wire, but the, <laughs> the original uh, wooden stand, yeah. yeah so, yeah. Um, you know, and seeing all those great players down the years, you know, obviously the three that stick in the mind because they're imprinted on my childhood or, or teenage, when I was a teenager as well, obviously the Hurst Moore and Peters. Mm. You know, followed by you know the the era when I was training there, the Trevor Brook in Billy Bonds. He was another hero. Made his debut for West Ham in 1967. Was a right back from Charlton. Mm. Moved from right back to midfield, to centre half, back to midfield. What a player! When I trained with him, he was 40 years of age or close to it. He was miles out in front of everyone else on, on the training, on the running. Really? Oh, yeah. way way out in front. You know. Billy, fantastic, yeah. and I, I did a dinner with him this year, and um, God, he looked fitter then now than than <laughs> when he was playing, actually. And you know, all these heroes, you know, uh, sticking the mind who played on on that ground, you know, and, and lesser lesser names, your Ronnie Boyces, your John Sissons, Johnny Byrne, what a player Johnny mm -hmm. Byrne was, you know, alongside Jeff Hurst, sixty-five thousand pounds, West Ham played for him from Crystal Palace and he was a third division player I don't know if you know this and he played for England while playing for Crystal Palace in the third division of English football wow and wow. represented England how, how would that happen that nowadays? would never happen yeah. now I mean you, I, I can't well, we, think I can't even think of a championship player yeah. well West Ham players can't even get in the England team <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, <it does>. absolutely <laughs> so um, yeah these are all things that, that stick in your mind you know I went to the 
the, the Cup Winners' Cup final in 65 and 64, all, all these great times, you know. Mm. So um, it will be disappointing to leave, but I like to look forward, not back. The Needs of Mother Brown West Ham podcast is brought to you by 888sport.com forward slash West Ham and the bet they've sent us this week, and can you believe this is even true? West Ham to finish in the top six, four to one on your first bet. Simple as that. I'm not going to add any more to that. Just get oh, get out there. If you're, th- if you're willing to believe, 888sport.com forward slash West Ham. So to tell us about the training with West Ham, how did that come about? How did how did you end up down there training with them? Um, basically, if, if I'll give you a brief history. I started playing professional cricket in 73. Um, my, my father wanted me um, to do an engineering apprenticeship, which I did, four years. And the day I finished that, I signed professional to play for Essex. Okay, so for two or three years, I played for Essex, made my England debut in 75. That didn't go so well. Didn't get any runs on my debut. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. You do know that? I, I, know I do that, say yeah. it's quite convenient to have your first test score in your surname. <laughs> okay. um, anyway, um, but in 78, getting yeah. to the football, I played, I, was, I wasn't going abroad then, so I played a bit of local football for old Philippians, uh, Fairlop School. I didn't go to Fairlop School, they're in Barkingside. And then I got back in the England side, and then we were going to West Indies, which tour started in January. And I thought, well, I need to train and get fit for this tour. And my sort of fitness regime then was really in cricket, it was left to yourself. There was no backup staff, there was no, there was a physio. We didn't even have a coach. You know, the team just run itself, basically. The captain run the team. And if if you wanted to train, you have to do it yourself, you know. And so I just got in touch with John Lyle and I wrote to him and he said, yeah, come down. And I spent four mo- nearly four months there. Well, did you write a letter? Uh, I, I think I probably did write a letter in those days. There were no emails yeah. in those days. <laughs> yeah. So I think I, I would have written to him at the club and... Uh, he kindly replied and said, yeah, come down. So I went every day, Monday to Friday. Yeah. And uh, he had me joining in with everything, training. I had my own kit. The old, I used to have a roll of towel, a towel they used to have with your number. I used to roll all the <coughs> kit up inside it and used to have all that kit. And your own squad number. Yeah, what, absolutely. What was, what, what was the level of training like? <laughs> it must have been pretty daunting. Well, there's two, there's two, two things that really stick out was that um, um, Ernie Gregory was the goalkeeping coach, famous West Ham goalkeeper from the 50s. Okay. And he he didn't think I was fit enough. (laughs) So his ritual every day, or certainly every Monday, because Mondays used to be the physical day. Right. Okay, so not a lot of football, but in the gym, running, round the pitch. I still used to use some of those running routines in later life, you know. And anyway, so, so Ernie Gregory would get to me and say, right, Gucci said he would unroll like one of these great big um, roll of wadding about two foot um, wide and he'd roll it out and he'd cut a hole in it okay and he put it over my head so it would drape down my my chest and across my back then he'd get a black bin liner cut a hole in that make me put that on with arms in it and then you put the tracksuit top over the top of that so you sweated like, <laughs> like anything. <laughs> that, that was the routine, anyway. So um, then we used to do the training. Used to, you know, just to play sort of on the left side, sometimes left back. And um, I, re- I remember Ronnie Boyce was one of the coaches, and uh, he used to shout to me if I got the ball. 
if they passed me to the passed me the ball, which was occasionally, <laughs> um, the first thing Ronnie Boyce would, and I won't use the language, but the Ronnie Boyce used to shout to me, "Don't something." lose the ball don't <laughs> something give the ball away that's all he used to shout at me and did you um, feel pressured well just a little bit yeah, yeah but i could i could play a little bit so yeah. uh, it, it was good fun and, and then they really you know encompassed me into their training and it was fantastic and um that christmas this was have been 1980 I said to John Lyle just before Christmas, okay, John, um, well, I'll see you after Christmas, you know. And he said, no, no, you won't. He said, I'll see you tomorrow, Christmas Day. (laughs) I said, no, 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 no. I said, no, no, no. I I can't, you know, wife's not going to be very happy with that. He said, we're in on Christmas Day. Because they're playing Boxing Day. Yeah. So he said, you'll be in Christmas Day, won't you? And I said, "Um, yeah, okay. I'll see you in the morning then. And I was there. I was oh, there brilliant. at uh, half past nine the next morning. Wow. Until 12.30 and then went home for Christmas lunch. Yeah. Why did he do Is that a bit sad, sadist of him? Like, no, I, I don't like... know. I, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> he, he, it was it was good fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was him. Um, he was obviously manager. You had Ronnie Boyce, one of the coaches. Mick McGiven, mm. um, who was the, the other main coach. And Ernie Gregory. And it was great. You know, and obviously, obviously um, the players... Billy Bonds, Trevor Brooking were still playing, yeah. Ray Stewart, um, David Cross there, Paul Goddard. It was just before the Macaveni era. Tony Cotty was a young kid. Paul Kit, Paul Ince was a young. So what year kid. was this, Graham? Eighty-one. Eighty-one. Ray Houghton. So yeah. a year after they'd um, won the FA Cup. Yeah. 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 Wow. So um, they had some, you know, very good team. They played very good football. Alan Devonshire, of course. Yeah. 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 Great player he was, yeah, you know. He was fantastic. amazing. Now he, he's a he's a sort of player that you pay money to watch. He's yeah. like a pyat, really. Yeah. yeah. You know, he was fantastic on the left wings. What would you call Alan Devonshire? He was a left sided midfield player. He, mm. he was sort of a winger, but not really a winger, if you see what I mean. Mm. Yeah. I just remember skills. he just used to run up and yeah. down and up and down like yeah. the whole ninety minutes, yeah. didn't he? And he's 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 mullet sort of like yeah. in the breeze. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that Pop Robson and Graham Pad and all these players, all these names sort of yeah. come back to you, you know. Yeah. yeah. Some some really good good players. He made some good signings, John Lyle. Paul Paul Goddard was a good signing. Mm. Yeah. And what was he yeah. like as a man, John Lyle? Yeah. Nice, nice. Man. Yeah. Lovely man. You know, well, did he shout much no, on the training pitch? Or no, he was an old style manager, I think. But he, he was a, a football man in as much that, you know, West Ham were all about retaining the ball, mm. passing the ball, pass and move, pass mm. and move. You know that 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 sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and their style of football was fantastic. And obviously, a few years later, um, they went on to come. Th- third didn't mm. we because we, we, we all hear about the boys of yeah. 86 quite yeah. a lot with Tony Gale and I imagine you see them a lot on the after dinner circuit yeah I see, <laughs> I see, I see Tony Gale quite quite a bit and Tony Cotty a yeah. little bit yeah, yeah. so it's funny just talking about Alan Devonshire then, obviously, you would have been two of the most famous men with moustaches there around that era. I wondered if you ever swapped yeah, tips. Yeah, we used to have the old moustaches, the old <laughs> porn star type moustaches, you know. Um, they were all the rage in those days, <laughs> yeah. the long hair yeah. and the, and, 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 and the moustache, Field Parks, they all, they pretty much all had them, you know. Yeah. I remember Trevor having one, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think, think they'll Frank come Lampard back, will they? Frank Lampard Senior had a... 
yeah, a yeah, beard, course, I think. Yeah, he yeah, probably yeah. had a yeah. beard. Yeah. Yeah. And when you were training, did did you take it easy on them? Did they take it easy on you? Or was it the other way around? Was there a lot of you know tough challenges there to check you um, out? Well, the running was tough because yeah. obviously they, they were a lot fitter than me. So we used to do this this running routine round the pitch, basically, which would be like if I said progression running, you know what I mean? You, um, right, okay, I'll give you a quick progression <laughs> running. No, so it's two of you run, yeah. so you have to compete with each other. So you you run one side of the pitch. Yeah. You jog all the way around. Yeah. Then you run to the, the side of the pitch and, and behind. And behind. Yeah. Then you jog the rest. Then yeah. you run three. So progressively it gets harder wow. and harder. And you have to keep up with the other person, and if you don't, they're shouting at you from the sidelines. Uh, and is, and is the I person you're running with ever giving you any slack? Steve Wolford, I run with. Yeah, when yeah. It, and you he go, was never going to be beaten <laughs> by a cricketer. He said that. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been the end. <laughs> he would have never heard the the end of it because they signed him and he played le- he played left yeah. back. They signed him from Arsenal and he played left back for us for yeah. a while. Yeah. Of course, wow. he's followed uh, Martin O'Neill everywhere yeah, since, yeah. you know, as yeah. a coach. But he was a good guy. Yeah. I wonder when you were training with when you first turned up, were you starstruck at all by Billy Bonds or any of the players that maybe you remember from earlier in your kind of West Ham supporting youth? Was there any there you thought, oh my God, it's like Ernie Gregory or anyone? Yeah, I, I, I think it's quite strange actually because when I, when I grew up, when I, when I uh, got into the Essex side as a cricketer, you know, when I was a kid, I used to watch Keith Fletcher, our captain, mm. play. He was obviously a young man then in his early 20s. And then a bit later, I got into the side and you end up playing yeah. with the guy you used to sort of revere. And it mm. was the same at football, you know, uh, with Trevor Brooking and Billy Bonds. And, 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 I, I, and I had a benefit with Essex in 85. And Bobby Moore was manager of Southend United then. Mm. And he played in a benefit match for me. Wow. That was a... That That's was a treat because he, he yeah. is my number one sporting hero. Wow. Because, um, I mean, there's been a lot written about him and said recently, you know, um, but he was the role model as a player, as a person, as a captain, as an ambassador. All those things he stood for were good in the game, you know. Mm. Mm. Obviously, he had a, you know, if you, he used to like a few bevies, behind the scenes by the sound of it Mm. Um, but you know when I was watching and watching him play he he was the standout player you know the master the master on the pitch and uh, you know no one could ever be better than Bobby Moore for me it's not just about the play it's about Mm. the person as well Mm. Mm. did you get to know him quite well then no I I, I didn't know him well I I, I met his Second wife Stephanie, mm. quite a bit because my partner Julia, she used to fly for BA, and my partner Julia now uh, she flies for BA. So that's how we met, and I've done a few things for the Bobby Moore Fund. I run the marathon for the Bobby Moore Fund. Yeah, right. uh, about ten years ago. Yeah, with the number six shirt on. Oh, <laughs> excellent. Yeah. So, I mean, he he, he was always uh, a cut above all the other players. The way he carried himself, you mm. know, and when you watched him play for England. You know, you, you you just don't see players like that now. But I'm totally biased. But uh, <laughs> he he read the game so well, all the things, and in, in you know, he was just a class act all round. Yeah. Did you get close to him in that charity match? Was it? Did you manage to like tackle him or? <laughs> I think he's probably the... on my side actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah I, think he, I think he just walked around idea. at the back a little bit. <laughs> actually, I don't think he was going to run too much. <laughs> we used to, 
We <laughs> used to like playing football because um, I think if you know the ground at Chelmsford, it's not there now, but right in front of our ground, next to the ground, was Chelmsford City's ground. Mm. And we used to play the odd uh, football match there against Chelmsford City and we used to have the odd sort of benefit games there and Trevor Brookin and and in that same year Billy Bonds played in a game for me there and that was really good because we had two midfield players and they sort of run the whole game <laughs> you know, and we had a lot of cricketers playing yeah. uh, it, it, these are just you know great memories and yeah. obviously the cricketers used to come and play I yeah. said to you Jeff first played one first class match for Essex Bobby Moore was quite a good cricketer so was Frank Lampard and I think the other Frank, Frank Lampard Jr was a very good cricketer as well because wow. he went to Brentwood school mm. and he, he would have played cricket there I know because Brian Hardy one of our ex-Essex players was coached there when Frank was there so you know you know, cricket and football. Um, yeah, links. You know. Yeah. So. Um, what are your favourite memories at Upton Park? Do any particular ones stand out? Um, yeah, I, I think I went to the match. I can't remember when we beat Leeds, I think it was. Was it 7-1 or something like that? That was a long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I think some of my uh, favourite memories of watching... Johnny Byrne and Jeff Hurst played together because yeah. you had Jeff Hurst, the big sort of strong archetypal striker, and then you had Johnny Byrne would be like you see a lot of guys nowadays, a smaller guy yeah. who was very skillful and you know very clever at laying the ball off and whatever. So that mm. they gelled together, and it, it, you know in, in any teams in any sports, it's it's not about all the best players, and it's it's how people gel together. How yeah. they fit together? Do they work well together? Like a Jeff Pike and a, a, a Trevor Brookin. And if you look at England in the last decade, when they said that Gerrard and Lampard couldn't play together, well, they probably could. But sometimes you you can put all the best players on the field, mm. and they don't always make a team. Mm. You know, when I watch, uh, if you watch Barcelona and Real Madrid, well, obviously one team's a team, and yeah. one's a team of stars. Yeah, mm. it's it's very obvious. Yeah, you know, you've got a wonderful array of talent Real Madrid but they're not the team that Barcelona are no. because they're not a team so it, that's kind of one of West Ham's strengths at the moment absolutely. isn't it he's absolutely. got them playing as a team you can mm. really see it really sort of shows doesn't it yeah ab- absolutely and uh, you know those years ago when John Lowell put the side together with you know Billy Bond in midfield Trevor Brookin you mm. know Graham Padden on the left you know it, it's how you construct a team Mm. which is very important and obviously when I watched in the 60s Harry Redknapp was playing for work for West Ham like a flying winger you know and uh, I, I, one of my one of my best memories I went to the game when West Ham beat Bradford 5-4 yes right yeah. now this Picanio. is got one of my famous matches yeah. this is because it was it, it, for drama yeah and uh you know bizarre <laughs> you know we were sitting there in the West Stand then and Di Canio has been fouled. I don't know if you were. Did you go to that? Yeah, game? I was at that game. Right, so he, yeah. well, you remember then. He fouled. He got. He got fouled a few times, and the referee wouldn't give anything because he thought he was diving, etc., etc. And in the end, he just walked over to Harry Redknapp on the side, didn't he, and said, yeah, "I, I want to come off. I'm coming <laughs> off." And Harry's saying, "No, you're not coming <laughs> off. You're staying on." And he's standing by the dugout, yeah. and the game's going on. I love on behind. Mm-hmm. Behind them while this is going on. It's so typical De Canio, isn't it? It's amazing. And then, and then, of course, we had the penalty in this incident, uh, incident mm. where, you know, this is this is primary school stuff. 
Because yeah. Frank Lampard had been designated, obviously, to take yeah. the penalty. Yeah. And he said, no, you're not taking the penalty. <laughs> it was like pulling the ball back with some football. I know, I know. I mean, you've never seen... Well, it's, it's, playground stuff isn't it <laughs> no. yeah. it was a surreal day wasn't it it was and although we win 5-4 that day I always thought that Stephen Bywell had one of the worst games of any West Ham goalkeeper Brad- Bradford had about four shots they all won <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't save couldn't save anything but that, that is day. the type of West Ham yeah. we're yeah. used to yeah. yeah now we're consistent yeah, which yeah. is we're all thinking oh, I just can't get my head around this consistency now <laughs> no. um, but you know that, that was obviously a, a, a fun moment that you know yeah, so that was brilliant. Mm. But before we go on and talk about predictions for our next game, I thought I'd just quickly ask. So you went in there, trained with West Ham, played football. Did you ever, after training, have a game of cricket? Did you ever flip it uh, on them? No, actually. But um, Rio Ferdinand, Frank Lampard, the guys came down to Ilford once and played a game. Yeah. Did they? Oh, really? Yeah. They the guys good? all played well, yeah. Did yeah. They? yeah. They all played well. Yeah, there's been some, you know, recently, well, you know, Gary Lineker was a very good cricketer. Mm. And he scored hundreds for minor counties and, and, and good quality cricket. Not not professional level, but mm. just below that. Right. He was a very good player. Mm. Um, uh, so, you know, obviously it, it doesn't happen now because the football teams wouldn't allow it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. just wouldn't allow it. And and I'm just trying to think the last one, uh, the last person who I can remember who was a very good cricketer and played for Scotland. What's the Rangers goalkeeper? I can't remember his name. Not Andy uh, Gorham. It could be Andy Gorham. Yeah. Yeah. He he played for Scotland at cricket and he played for Rangers in goal. And that was, I'd say, within the last 20 years. Right. That is, wow. that is the last one I can remember. I think it was him, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, and did Rio Fernand go into bat? Did you bowl bouncer right in his face straight I away? I couldn't I wasn't quick enough to bowl the bouncer, actually. <laughs> 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 but, uh, oh, dear. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we produce some fa- fantastic players. and yeah. And... I think the DNA of West Ham and their supporters is to be entertained and to be optimistic. Mm. We've had the Decanios with sublime skill, bordering on some things he did was ridiculous, mm. you know. And, and you've had the you know the artists like Trevor Trevor Brookin and Bobby Moore and the, these guys. And then you you had some fantastic players down the years mm. which, which have entertained you. And West Ham fans, I, th- I think every football fan actually wants to, they want the team sure. to win. They want to be entertained, don't you? Yeah. You want to come away and think, I enjoyed that. We've missed that, especially from the last couple of seasons, haven't yeah. we? Yeah. It's nice now that we've got the likes of Lanzini and Payet I think mm. who can do something extra it's enter- special. You know, professional sport is an entertainment. People pay good money to be entertained. And you want them to go there and you want them to come away thinking, I want to come back mm. and I want to watch that again. And there's always an element that you want to win and win at any cost. OK, the result is important. And winning the right way has sometimes let West Ham down in the past. The soft underbelly, that's obviously gone now. Mm. But people want to be entertained in sport, you know, because sport is... Um, it's a market share thing. You've got rugby, you've got cricket, you've got obviously football's king in this country. But all these other sports, you know, you know, they're all chipping away at, at football and even at cricket. You know, we, we, we feel that in, in, in cricket. So people, you know, when they come to watch Essex or watch England, you know, you, you want to win, but you, you, you've got to play the right style of, of game mm. to entertain people. Yeah. yeah. It's as simple as that. Um, in other West Ham news, one man who won't be entertaining for England is Mark Noble, who hasn't been called up in Roy Hodgson's latest squad. Graham, 
I mean, where do you stand on that? We've been talking about it the last few weeks. Do you think he deserved his shot, or do you think he's missed the boat? I well, I I think he's very unlucky because um, I would say he's one of West Ham's outstanding players this year. Payet's got all the headlines, okay, and some other more attractive players uh, uh, have got the sort of rap from the media. But this is a guy who gives 110% every game and they would not be able to perform without his contribution in a match. Mm. He is reliable, dependable, he's all over the pitch, he's putting the work rate in, he's winning the ball and he's the glue that keeps that team together. And um, you can see him, I I think he's arguably one of the most influential and important players for West Ham because they they do all the work in front of the back four um you know obviously Pyatt Lanzini are the creative players and I I I think he's been exceptional I think he is unlucky you know because Hodgson's obviously quite rightly probably he's not that he's not picked Mark but you formulate your squad you know and you Mm. need to know who you're going to have well in advance really it's not like last minute decisions when it comes to picking squads for big tournaments you know mm. I've seen that mistake happen with England rugby and England cricket last year in the World Cup we changed our team right at the last minute before the this tournament started which was ridiculous so you've got to have that in your mind what system you're going to play and how you're going to play but I think there is a deserving player you know and he's mm. one of them you know but you could say that for many, many years about Billy Bonds, couldn't you? Yeah. How could he be a consistent player like him? And I think he got into a squad once, but I don't know if he got injured or whatever. But uh, I, I think he's been exceptional, Mark Noble. He's a real role model and he leads the other players by example. Yeah. His mm. attitude, I think, really rubs off his work ethic. Mm. You know, everything. well, you can see he plays for the cause. Yeah, he does. He's not just a professional footballer getting getting paid to play mm. he's playing playing for the cause he's playing for the shirt he's playing for the name because he's been brought up that way and he's been a lifelong uh, player for West Ham and supporter of West Ham and that shows in his performance mm. yeah I thought actually was with what's happening to Villa at the moment like I couldn't ever see that happening to West Ham if Mark Noble was there because you've got 11 players at Villa who look like they don't care. If West Ham were in, that, in a similar position, you can imagine Mark Noble wouldn't let that happen. You see, be, being a professional sportsman, okay, I would say you can't just play for the money. Mm. Mm. You have to play because you want to play and for your own pride in performance. Every time you go onto the field, you're putting your reputation on the line and you should put everything into that because that is that is your that is your chosen profession and and that's why you're there you know you're not there just to, if you're playing just for the money like if I was when I was coach of Essex mm. or if I want to sign someone from overseas I want to know that they want to play opposed from just coming for the money yeah play mm. for the money do you see what there's a difference mm. yeah I want to play because I want to do well and I want to challenge myself against the best mm. Mm. when I play cricket at the highest level I wanted all the best players to play against us and the reason for that is because if if players are injured in the opposition their best players in theory that's easier for you because they're not playing but you should want to play against the best players to test yourself absolutely because that's part of it Mm. put my skill up against yours and if you come out on top that's satisfying Mm. and if you don't you say well done I was second best today but next time 
I'll be better. Can yeah. you identify those kinds of players with those attitudes? Because it seems to me like whoever's been choosing Aston Villa's players, for example, hasn't got a clue in how to mm. choose a player who is playing for those reasons. Whereas it seems like Slavin Bilic, on the other hand, can identify a player who plays for the shirt and, and for their own personal well, achievement. Think, Bianca, what you're talking about is character. Mm. It's pride in, perform- in your performance character. When you sign a player, you've got to know what their character is, or mm. you, sh- you should do. But is it's that not, easily identifiable? No, I, it's not if you don't know anyone, but yeah. that's important. It's the character. Because some, you know, if I talked about Alistair Cook, who I've, I've coached for 10, 12 years, who plays for Essex, plays for England, um, you could give him a 10 year contract with England or not England because you don't well he is under contract but with Essex and it wouldn't make any difference to him right. okay but some players I've played with I wouldn't give more than a one year contract to yeah because you have to give the, the carrot yeah at the end if you give them a two or three year contract they're suddenly in a little bit of cruise control mm. okay that they feel comfortable they feel safe okay that if they don't quite get it right they're okay because they've got two or three year contract some people you can't do that but some people it makes no difference to mm. because they don't play for the money or whatever they play for their performance and their character is that and that's very important because yeah. that's what drives you on in sport that's what Absolutely. drives you on in life mm. yeah you know you've got to be you've got to be motivating yourself mm. Sorry, i'm getting a bit serious no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no but it's really interesting yeah, no, no, it to, to be able to identify that and because it's like with pi it's been given this you know extension yeah. to the contract yeah. and so it'd be interesting to see if he manages to yeah. you know Stay keep his, his levels and it's good He's been recalled as well, hasn't he, to the international? It's interesting. You, yeah, absolutely. He deserves it. He but does. It, it, um, it, it's interesting you bring that up because I don't quite, you know, understand the mentality of sitting on the bench or wanting to sit on the bench. Yeah. Now, you can understand if someone's getting paid a lot of money a week, they're quite happy to sit on the bench because they're earning good money. They don't want to move clubs. But do you want to sit on the bench no. for your whole career? I wouldn't what understand What is the that. point? Yeah. Mm. Because again, you go back to that. You want to, you want to see how good you are. Mm. You want to check. Well, you should do because that's what drives you on. Well, it's a reason mm. for being, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. I don't understand the mentality of just sitting on the bench. No, there's yeah. a lot of them out there, though. Well, Absolutely. playing Palace next at home, Emmanuel Adebayor, a man often linked with well, there us. There you go. When he signed for Crystal Palace, he said he had to Google them to find out who they were. And that's who we're up against. He's almost certain to score against us. <laughs> <laughs> so that's our next home game, Graham. Where do you, what, what are you thinking about the score there? Do you think we're going to do them? They're on a bad run of form at the moment, mm. aren't they? Well, they're an interesting side, Palace, because you know I, I, I liked Alan Pardew when he was manager of West Ham. I thought he plays good football and I thought he put together a good side. <coughs> Excuse me. And I like him as a manager and I think he, he knows his way around putting sides together but they had a great run earlier on and now they're on a really bad run and it's yeah. quite difficult to get out of that and um, I hope they don't break that duck against West Ham but you know my my past life West Ham <laughs> tells me it's probably going to happen but um, I, I don't know the form suggests that um, we should be too strong for them but uh, y- you never know but we need to keep winning don't we we, do. we, we need to keep our foot on the pedal that's the main yeah. thing yeah. because you never get you know, very rarely to get an opportunity to achieve what West Ham's achieving now. And, and and that's the difficult thing in sport is keeping there. You know, you can win, but keeping the consistency, keeping pressing, keep mm. pressing all the time. Um, you know, West Ham have not achieved anything. All right, they're a lot better off than m- m- 
most of us would have thought this year okay but we got to take that opportunity and grab it and not and not you know just relax and think you know we've done okay. it yeah. we're not done it but mm. you know, we should win this game yeah that's a, yeah. that's a bad mentality i'm not saying they're going to do that yeah but there's a danger you know I, yeah. I think these types of games now are more of a litmus test than going to Stanford bridge and playing chelsea mm. because if if you can keep going against these and, and not slip up whereas the west ham of old would have done then i think mm. you can really sort of start to be a little yeah, bit more I, I, comfortable I, 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 I honestly think that you know, in the past, when West Ham come up against this is a, this is a classic match, Crystal yeah. Palace at home. Mm. We yeah. should win that. Yeah, that's when it goes that's wrong. That's when it goes wrong. And against against a bigger team, where you think, well, I'm not sure we're yeah. going to get anything out of this, they play better. Yeah. But if we manage to keep on going, absolutely, and you know, sort of maintain that consistency. Absolutely. But I know I keep bringing it up, but when I was interviewing Mikel Antonio, he said the difference now is. They go onto that pitch knowing they're going to win. He goes onto the pitch knowing he's going to score. He says he knows the ball is going to come to him mm. and he knows he's going to put it away. I mean, this is obviously when he's playing further forward. But when you've got that kind of mentality, and that is so powerful. Mm. And that's where West Ham are at the minute. That's their level of confidence, knowing they're going to win. Not and, hoping, and, knowing. And they've got some good players in the wings. Yeah, and having a bit of competition for places yeah. is never a bad thing. And Andy mm. Carroll, um, as as you know, when he comes on, he's been fantastic, hasn't mm. he? Yeah. yeah, revelation. The pressure for a score, Graham. What do you think the score is going to be against Palace? Uh, as long as it's nil to them. Yeah, we'll take that then. We'll ta- we'll, we'll, we'll take anything in our column and none yeah. in their yeah. column. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Bianca, what are you thinking? Uh, I think we're going to win. Yeah. I feel I'm like confident. Yeah. What would you think? Uh, One, two. I'll go. I'm going to go two nil. I think Palace are on a very slippery slope, and their confidence is shot at the moment. Yeah. And I don't think we we'll roll over like we used to. Yeah. We've we've lost that fragility. I really believe that. Yeah. Well, I think it's been a while since we've really smashed someone. So I think I think this could be it. They're that'd, really lovely. Yeah, that'd be nice that'd actually. Be lovely. Really help our goal difference. Yeah. Which would help with Champions League. Yeah, Graham. On that note, just in the clouds already, you are, aren't you? <laughs> we do tend to have to scrape ourselves off the ceiling when we leave I'm here. Looking for the bubbles in our little yeah, pod. Uh, Graham, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to have your company. Uh, yeah. Are you on Twitter or social media? Or no. None of that? No? Too old. No. Too old. <laughs> oh, well. Just have to go down to Essex Cricket Club. Or write then, him a letter. Uh, yeah, write him a letter. <laughs> John Lyle style. Old school. <laughs> yeah, love uh, it. It's great great to speak to you guys and um, lifelong West Ham supporter. So, yeah. um, And it will be that way until the end of my time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really come across. Bianca, thank you so much. Thank you. We're off next week because it's international break. We'll be back after the Palace game. In the meantime... Come on, you irons. Come on, you irons.